Praise God. Our Focus 52 chapter, our Focus 52 chapter this week is Psalms chapter 56. I find it no coincidence whatsoever that our devotion this week is written from Psalms chapter 56. For in the title of my Psalm 56 in my Bible, it says, Times of Distress. If you got the little captions above your Psalms in 56, it'll say, Times of Distress. I think if I'm guilty of anything when it comes to trouble, it's oftentimes praying for less trouble and not more of God. I want that to be very clear tonight. We don't need less trouble. We just need more God. We need more God. And I believe he's going to help us in this place. If you, if you read the Focus 52 devotion this week, which was, it was wonderful, it was so good. Beginning of it, it says, fear says, what if? Faith says, even if. Let that settle in your heart. Fear says, what if? Faith says, even if. You can get so caught up in current events and things going on in the world right now that from now to the coming of the Lord or till you stop breathing, that you live every day of your life saying, what if? I'm being honest with you right now. What if? What if? Oh, God, what if? What if we get this? What if we get that? What if this happens? What if that happens? What are we going to do? But there's, there's a transitional moment when you realize you're not alone, that the what if becomes irrelevant, and even if becomes strong. The three Hebrew boys are facing a treacherous day, and the adversary to them, the king, he looks at them and he says, so what about your God now? Is he able? It's like the enemy wants to give you his strong arm before God is revealed, you know. And you get to that point in the story where you're wondering how far is God going to let the enemy push until God pushes back. Anybody else ever wonder that? That's probably why this same exact psalmist said his foot had almost slipped when it looked like the wicked were prospering. Where did his transitional moment happen? Do you remember? When he said, my foot had well nigh slipped. When I beheld the prosperity of the wicked. Until I came into the sanctuary, the house of the Lord. I came to the sanctuary. That's why this house is important to me. Because it moves us to transitional moments where what if dissipates. And even if becomes the loudest voice. They said, our God is able. But even if he doesn't. It was the voice of faith speaking, saying, even if. Not the voice of fear speaking, saying, what if. What if God doesn't answer? Well, then you're, you're toast, literally. If God doesn't answer, then you're burned up in the fiery furnace. You're done. But the voice of faith said, even if he doesn't answer, we're going to have a reward on the other side of the trial. Amen. So, 
I want us to read tonight, if we can, from 56. And I want us to read verses 3 and 4 together. I feel this is so good. I don't know how preachy I'm going to be tonight. But I do believe that God has a word for us. Amen. Amen. Psalms 56 and verse 3, if you're there, just say amen. amen. The psalmist begins by saying, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Lord bless you. You may be seated tonight. It's easy for us when we read through the scripture. For us to perceive Bible characters as superheroes. And again, sounding like a broken record, it's because we all know the end of the story. It's easy to look at them and think about how powerful they are and, oh, my word, they're, they're just super conquerors and they didn't feel anything. And these, these were mighty, mighty men of valor that didn't, they didn't get afraid of anything. They just, they, they were big time, you know. That's not the language of David. He said, at what time I am afraid. He does not make the claim to be fearless. David was not some kind of brutish stoic that was free from fear because of a lack of tenderness and lack of humanity. He had feelings. He was flesh. He was blood. David was far too intelligent to try to act like he was fearless. And it was his intelligence, as a matter of fact, that deprived him of the inability of fear. It was because of his humanity and his intelligence that David saw the eminence, the closeness of his peril. And because of that, he was afraid. David was at a time, if you read at the top, when the Philistines took him to Gath, he was in an unfamiliar place, a place of his enemy, a place that was not comfortable for him. How many of you remember where uh, Goliath was from? He was from Gath. You don't run from Saul, David, and let Gath be the place where you go for a season of rest. When it's your face that's on every wanted photo, hanging in every post office and off of every telephone pole and every doorway in town, you are the most popular man in town because you destroyed the champion of Gath. So don't think that you're going to have a time of respite running. So here's the life of a holy man. Here's the life of a godly man. Here's the life of an anointed man. How many of you want to be anointed? Get ready. Because an anointed man is running into trouble while he's running from trouble. He's running from Saul because Saul wants to kill him. And the only place he can hide is in Gath. 
I've got bad news for you tonight. Sometimes the will of God feels like a dangerous place. The will of God doesn't feel like a comfortable place to be. There are folks who like to sit in comfort and relaxation and enjoy the goodness of the Lord and fill a church pew up and occupy the same seat between now and the coming of the Lord and say, oh, I'm just in the will of God, just enjoying the will of God. You know what? When I read the language of the scripture, the will of God does not sound fearless to me. The will of God does not sound relaxed to me. What kind of language would it be for the Lord to say, upon this rock I'll build my church and hell will never bother you. We rejoice at Scripture in strange ways. We rejoice that the gates of hell shall not prevail. We want to be a prevailing church without ever having struggle. We talk about no weapon formed against us going to prosper in your face, devil, in your face, in your face, devil. It's not going to prosper. It's not going to prosper. No, read the first part. No weapon formed. He doesn't say the weapon's not going to be formed. He says it's not going to prosper and you're going to have to live through some things. David, you are running from trouble and you're running into trouble to get out of trouble and you're in the will of God. This is tough times. And so David was far too intelligent to walk into this town and think. I'm in a safe place. He knew that he had every right to be fearful. David knew that we are men and therefore we are liable to be overthrown. We are feeble and therefore unable to prevent it. We are sinful men and therefore deserving of it. And for all of these reasons, we have a right to be afraid. It's a difficult place to be. When the enemy gets in your ear as he's been in some of you this week. Saying if you were in the will of God. You wouldn't be facing this trouble. If you were in the will of God. You wouldn't be in this trial. If you were in the will of God. Your family wouldn't be struggling like this. If you were in the will of God. Then the enemy wouldn't have access to you. I want to ask you all the question. At what point in Job's story did Job leave the will of God? Job was walking perfect before the Lord when the hedge was lifted and the enemy had access to him. It was God's ability to trust Job in the face of adversity that allowed the hedge to be lifted. And the very thing that some of us are despising right now is the very thing that is forming the character of the church of the living God. We are not going to close out the end of this uh, eternal perspective of the church age as being some weak and feeble church that just comes. Could you imagine, folks? Could you imagine how unfair it would be? All of the things that God let the first century church go through, all of the troubles that they had, all of the trials that they had, and we feel like we have faced persecution because people make fun of the way we look. My wife and I got in the car this morning, and there was a there was a, a, a group of folks in the, the uh, chiropractor's office today that are 
from a very traditional type background. They're extremely, uh, extremely conservative people. They live way different than we do. No power in their homes. Uh, no vehicles. No gas. N- nothing like that. And we got in the car. And my wife said, and our people think they got it rough. And I said, the difference is those folks don't feel like they've got it rough. And here's the power of that moment. I said, you find very, very few people in this world converting to that kind of a lifestyle. And that's what we deal with in Pentecost is in conversion. People are trying to blend the best of two worlds. I don't mind saying because I, I know none of them are going to see it, but they were, they were Amish people. You know, I'm going to just kind of throw this out here and let it just, just let it simmer in your spirit. You don't become an Amish person and keep your Ford pickup. Because it's convenience that you can't live without. So I'll just keep my iPhone and my Ford truck and be the rest of the way Amish. (laughs) Sounds foolish, doesn't it? Yeah, how many things do we hold on to while we're converted? And we tell the world we're apostolic. You know, you can come in dressed in designer jeans, button-up shirt, Colorful clothes and try to convince me you're Amish. But I know you're not. Because you haven't been converted. This is where people kind of start shifting from side to side. It's funny to watch people get uncomfortable. Just going to ask you all a question. How many of you have noticed people in this area, especially a little further to the west of us, where there's a little bit of money in the next county over, when you, you go into shopping malls anymore, and you, you notice there's quite a few people of the Islamic belief system? How do you know they're Islamic? Did you hear them pray? Did you hear them speak? How do you know? Well, the way you dress don't matter. The way you look don't matter. You can just walk around all you want to and tell people you're a Muslim. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about changing your ways. Just profess that you're a Muslim. How do you think that'd go over if you showed up to one of their weekly prayer services and said I want to join, but I'm going to tell you, there's some things about this religion that I disagree with. And I'm going to do what I want to do. Y'all keep on doing what you're going to do, and I'm just going to fit in. Tell you right now, folks, you're going to stick out like a zipper at a Velcro convention. Yet we try to bring in to the kingdom of God where we know for sure, not, listen, Not only biblically, but historically, 
Monotheistic faith in one true living God is the oldest form of religion ever recorded in the world. Faith in the one true living God. And these people are willing to change their entire course of life for less than perfect truth. Yet we feel like because we've got perfect truth that we'll give God what we want to give God and we'll withhold the rest. You know, that's the same spirit that got on this Saul that David was running from when he went to Gath. It was the spirit that caused Saul to lose his anointing. And when you've got yourself in a place, I'm leading up to something right here that I hope is going to make sense. I've just kind of been setting the tee up on the ball right here. But what I'm saying to you is if you find yourself in the midst of trouble and running from trouble and you're not totally convinced in the God of your salvation, you got bigger problems in the trouble that you're looking at. What I'm saying to you is we've come to a place in history where you had better have a made up mind that you're in the truth and you love the truth and there is no other truth and this is the right way. The time that we're in right now is a horrible time for us to be sitting down at the table with God trying to discuss what we think is and isn't necessary. David didn't walk into Gath and say, you know what, Lord, I believe I could get out of trouble right here if I just start agreeing with a little bit of their doctrine. If I could find just enough common ground with these Philistines that we could all just get along right here, it'd be all right with me. Let's all just coexist together. You know what would have happened? The same thing would have happened. They still would have hated him. Because then he would have brought a curse into Gath because he was an anointed king. Oh, God, don't do things like that. You tell the boys that were riding on Jonah's boat that. I think, <laughs> I think sometimes we're looking at the world right now and saying, mm, how pitiful is these people? These people, they are so godless. What is wrong with this society? They are so godless. Look at all these crazy people. And the Lord is trying to show us a picture. It was not the godless people of Sodom that was a problem. It was the righteous people that were in Sodom that forgot how to be righteous that caused the judgment of God to rest on Sodom. And I'm telling you, it is not the godless people of the United States of America that have turned God's face against this nation. It's the church that's sitting down at conversations with God and we're trying to work out deals with God of what righteousness really is and what unrighteousness really is. Let me bring you back to a principle. It is righteousness that exalts a nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. So you've got a problem when you come to a place that makes you fear. If you are fearful and have the knowledge of his presence, it's one thing. If you are fearful and you're not convinced you need his presence. Oh my, my. I didn't expect this to be quite this tight right here. 
Am I making any sense? David said, at what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. He said, in God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. I'm saying to you that fear is not our number one enemy in this hour right now. It is the absence of the surety of who he is. Because who he is is what makes me who I am. David was not just an anointed man that was on the run. He was an anointed man of God. He was not anointed by the gods of the Philistines. He was not anointed of the gods of anybody else. He was anointed by the one true living God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And you've got to know who your God is. That's why Daniel said, they who know their God shall be strong and do exploits you cannot do exploits if you're walking around and it's always cloud nine and it's always perfect weather and it's always a sunshiny day you're going to face trouble but when you go into your trouble you've got to know where you put your trust The condition in the psalmist's mind was quite complex to say the least. He feared but was not overtaken with fear. Oh my Lord. I want to get this in somebody's heart tonight. He had fear but was not overtaken with fear. In other words, fear was present in his mind. But it did not solely occupy his mind. For mixed with fear from the evidence that he could see. There was a foundational faith toward that which he could not see. Did I lose you? The fear that he had was based on the evidence that he could see with his physical eyes. The faith that was in his spirit was based on that which he could not see. And it validates Hebrews the 11th chapter. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. I love this word right here. The evidence of things not seen. David said, oh yes, fear is with me. The evidence that I see is causing me to fear. But the evidence of what I cannot see is what gives me the ability to put my trust. Oh God. It isn't the power to rise above the mountain that's standing in your way to stop telling God about the size of the trouble and the size of the mountain and the size of the virus. Come on, I'm about to get down here and preach to you right now. We need an awakening in here. I'm about to start preaching on resurrection. 
I'm telling you right now that the enemy has done everything he can to occupy the minds and the churches and the spirits of the church of the living God. But I'm declaring to the enemy tonight that no amount of fear that he could bring against us in the evidence in this world will be greater than the evidence of what we know in the world that is not seen. I feel like Father Abraham tonight. I'm not looking at this city. I'm looking for a city that was not made with hands. It's a city whose builder and maker is God. It feels better up here to me than that. Oh God. I was reminded this week, and I'm gonna I'm on my soapbox, so just I guess just let it go if you're not used to my soapboxes yet. <laughs> two years ago, my wife and I in November, two years ago, my wife and I moved in to the house that we're living in now, and I had to have internet because I have three daughters. So help me. They always have this way of selling stuff to you. So, two years ago, I got the internet. And they said, well, Mr. Claire, St. Claire. I don't know what it looks like on your screen, but if you've ever picked up a Bible or anything like that, you're going to see st. One, one time, this is a complete side note, little rabbit trail here. We're driving down in Indianapolis. Jocelyn looked up. She was learning to read. And she looked up at 116th Street. And the sign is 116th ST. And she's trying to make it out. She goes, Saint. 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 I said, Honey, what are you doing? She said, The sign, it said, Saint. I said, I think that's 116th Street. So this guy tells me, Hey, Jocelyn, I was talking about you. Did you hear it? Yeah, you did. Just making sure. And so this guy tells me on the phone, he's like, Mr. Claire, we're going to make your bill cheaper. I said, how are you going to make my bill cheaper? They said, well, since you're a new customer, I'm like, I'm not a new customer. I've been with your company for 129 years. They're like, yeah, but you have a new address. I'm like, all right, I'm a new customer. And they're like, what services do you need, sir? I said, I need phone and I need internet. Well, how many channels would you like, sir? I need phone and I need internet. But, sir, in the bundle that we have for you, we can give you 479,000 channels and free HBO for two months. 
Now, if you do get that, you have to call and cancel yourself or we'll charge you $490. They go through all this junk. So anyway, I said, look, I don't want your TV box. I don't want any of that. I want the Internet. And they said, well, we'll, we'll leave TV on there in case you change your mind. And it's cheaper. I said, then leave it on there. So this week, my wife comes to me and says, honey, we've been here two years. And I was like, yeah. She said, I need you to call the company. And I said, okay. So 28 minutes later tonight, after I said no to a computer 8,000 times, I want to talk to somebody. And they come on and they're like, what can I do for you, sir? I'm like, you ain't from here, are you? He's like, what can I do for you, sir? I said, my bill is $200. Oh, yeah. Well, what was your bill before? I'm like, you should have that. He said, what services do you need? I said, I need phone and internet. He said, well, sir, I have a deal for you. Can you hold? Yep. 15 minutes later, he comes, thank you for your patience, sir. Now listen, he said, I can make your bill so much cheaper by dropping TV off of your package. I said, get her done. It was cheaper two years ago. He said, well, you said you don't watch it anyway. I said, no, I don't. My point to you is that it's amazing to me the price that people pay for entertainment. It, it hurts. It hurts me to think that there are people tonight who are living on Kool-Aid packets, ramen noodles, paying $250 a month. To get a bunch of stuff that causes confusion. And that's what they put their trust in. I didn't know this happened. Somebody told me today the news told them that a thousand people died like yesterday or something in Indiana. Oh no. I said, I'm sorry, I didn't see that. Did see that the total death rate. The entire United States is lower this year than it's been. I'm talking about for every reason, every death is lower than it's been for the last eight years. And we're getting $250 a month for somebody to tell me that I can't have peace of mind. The devil's a liar. You know what I'd rather do? I'd rather pick up this book right here, put it underneath my pillow at night, and say, I will not fear what men can do unto me. When I am afraid, I have put my trust in the Lord. I'm not telling you I'm not afraid. I'm telling you that I'm so full of faith. There is no power in hell that can make me afraid enough to quit believing.
fixing to move with you right here. I'm going to tell you what happens. Where there is an abundance of fear and faith is excused from the equation. Where there's a lack of faith and overabundance of fear. I'm going to tell you what it does. Everybody got your seatbelts on? It leads to a spirit of ungratefulness. How is that connected, Pastor? It's amazing. Because fear starts focusing on everything you don't have. And faith always says, I've got more than enough. A spirit of fear is always focused on the lack of something. And it causes us to exercise a spirit of ungratefulness. Isn't this something? Think about the connection. Now listen, this is not, this has nothing to do with my opinion. Understand that. I'm just saying to you that there are people in this world today that the only hope they've had now for nine months was a vaccine they didn't have access to. And they were ungrateful because they didn't have answers. Now, I'm not pleased. Please, please. I'm just telling you how this old brain right here works. Now, the unseen part that people have exercised their ungrateful attitude of there's got to be an answer, there's got to be an answer, there's got to be an answer. So the answers come and the efficacy is 90 to 94 to 95%. And the creator put in me so far 99.9 and change percent of being healed from within. This messes with me so bad right here. It seems to me that as a human race, our hope is always in things that are just out of reach. Am I making any sense at all? It's like our greatest hope is for that that next thing is going to happen. It's like, I don't make enough right now, so I... There's just a little bit more overtime. This house is just a, just a little bit too small. And we'll say, I'm afraid that deep freeze is not big enough. <laughs> Lord, it is tight as a 1947 Martin banjo in here right now. It's like fear gets us in this spirit we're, we're, we're not grateful. I, I'm afraid that what I have is not enough. Pastor, give me Bible. Okay, I knew you'd ask. Thank you. Here's the setting. 5,000 men plus their wives and their children. You got your calculators? Get your calculator out. Let's just say there's 
5,000 men. They all got a wife. How many people is that? Let's say they all got one kid. We're at 15,000. Sounds bigger. Okay? Y'all got your calculators in your brain. Somebody say five loaves, two fish. I'm afraid that's not enough. Does that make sense to anybody? You still can't connect fear to an ungrateful spirit. I think we can. They come to the master that created. I didn't, this is not my message. This is in that book. All things visible and invisible. Am I still in the book? All things were created by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. We got a problem, Lord. All right, what's the problem? The problem is all these people are following you and we don't have enough. He said, well, what do you have? They said, I don't know. I think we ought to send them into town. Listen, humanity says send them away because there's only enough for us. Oh, God. I want to, like, get up here and preach this where I can duck. I just felt tomatoes. Five loaves. Y'all don't have to believe it. I'm going to tell you what. I, I believe I believe them, them two men that came to Jesus had already had the discussion said, look, if we break that piece of fish up right there, we break that, then me and you and Andrew, and they start... This is how much I'm going to get out of it. Oh, God. In times of crisis, the ungrateful spirit says, I want to be sure I have enough for me. And you're standing in front of the multiplier. And he said, go get what you've got and give it to me. And... All they're thinking about is what they've got to lose. And the 5,000 are sitting there saying, what's he about to do? What's he about to do? Now listen, here's the difference. When they walked with him every day, the supernatural became ordinary. And they forgot how good he was because they were used to his goodness. 5,000 people followed him that were never asked to follow him and they just believed that he was good enough that he could take care of it. Oh, my, my, my. It's bad when the world's faith has to start reminding the church that there are still people in this world that believe he can. Five loaves, two fish. He puts it in, their hand, puts it in his hand. And he lifts it up and he blesses it and he breaks it and he multiplies it. But fear of what they had to lose made them have trepidation and reluctance of giving him what they had. That's locked some people up in the church over the last few months. I'm not talking about this body. I'm talking about in the church. 
They were afraid and they took their talents and they hid it and they quit giving and they were like, oh God, I can't be giving now, Lord. What if the, what if the whole thing shuts down? And, and I was thinking in my heart, I'm, I refuse to stop giving. What if the whole thing shuts down? You see what I'm saying? Like the world saying, don't, don't give to the church right now. Don't give to the church right now because the whole system's going to shut down. And faith is saying, man, give it. Invest into the kingdom of God because if the whole system shuts down, he said when heaven and earth passes away, my word, oh, my, my, my word will never. So what happens is when faith and fear coexist, and it will, Whatever you feed is what grows the fastest. And when you start investing in that faith, all of a sudden the fear subsides. And something begins to happen. That's why David said it like this. I will bless the Lord. Another way you could say this is I will be grateful. I will bless him. I will thank him for what he's done at all times. Why? Because there is direct connection to fear and ungratefulness and faith and thankfulness. David said, when I'm thanking the Lord, I am feeding the faith that's within me. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. When I'm afraid, when, the, when it's all against me, when my back's against the wall, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Why would you keep it in there? Because there's going to be fear too. And fear's going to come along. But if I keep praise in my mouth, I can't speak fear and faith together. Some of us need to learn that there's room for fear and faith in the mind, but there's not room for fear and faith in the tongue. You've got to speak one or the other, and what you speak is what gives life. Oh, magnify the Lord. Oh, this is so simple. I'm closing. I'm I'm wrapping up. Magnify. Magnify. Put on them magnifying glasses. You didn't make your Bible bigger than it was. You just saw it differently. And you magnify that thing. You can't make God any bigger than he is. But you can sure change the way that you see him. It's an invitation by the psalmist. He says, come here. Come magnify him with me. And let us, let us exalt his name together. His name is exalted. But let us Exalt his name together. Let us magnify him together. Let us exalt him together. Because when I am afraid, at what time I am afraid, when I begin to magnify and exalt him, the evidence shows that I have put my trust in what I cannot fix. I know that God is able, and when I don't have an answer, I know that God has got my back. Let's stand together. 
I wish I had time to teach the whole chapter. But I want to I help you with something, church. I read this this week. And I, I promise you, it was one of those things that I, I stopped. Bishop, I kept reading it over and over. I would go back and I would read it again. And I would, I would sit and I would think. Verse 7. In verse 7. Shall they escape by iniquity? Okay? He's tired of the foolish. He's tired of the evildoers. Shall they escape by iniquity? I read this this week, and it, it blew my mind. Listen to this. It's very, very tedious. It's very, very close. From iniquity, there is an escape. By iniquity, shall they escape by iniquity? By iniquity, there is no escape. Listen, the mercy of God secures one, and the justice of God prevents the other. You know I read it over and over again now because you got, got to let it get in your spirit. Listen, the mercy of God secures the fact that from iniquity there is an escape. But his justice prevents the escape by iniquity. What's that saying, Pastor? It's saying, if you've put your trust in me, then stop worrying about vindication. Because what my mercy extends, if not reciprocated, justice will prevent. Oh God, that is so powerful to me. So I say to you tonight. There's things we can't worry about that we may never see. The end of it. Between now and the trumpet sounding. But my question for you is. If the Lord were to come back tonight, would he find you wondering or would he find you trusting? Because there can only be one or two. You can have your back against the, uh, against the wall wondering when God's going to vindicate it and get it fixed. Or David said, when I'm afraid... I will trust. Will you be wondering? Or will you be trusting? Because whether fear arises from without or within. From past, present or future. From temporal or spirituals. From men or from devils. Fear will come. But let us maintain. That when he comes back for us. If it's in the midst of chaos and confusion. We know that he is not the author of that confusion. And we don't have to wonder when he's going to vindicate it. Because if I don't see him vindicated on this side, I will see him vindicated in the millennial reign. I will see him vindicated with the kings of the earth when we're on the winning side at the second coming. I'm telling you tonight, I choose to believe 
that when I am afraid, God is with me and God is for me and God is working for us. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your precious word. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before you. Heaven and earth adore you. There is none like you. I say that tonight, God, not only to reassure my own heart, but to speak to the principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places and to declare unto the prince and the power of the air. Our God is greater. In Him have we put our confidence to every dark spirit of chaos and confusion and corruption in the earth. We speak a world that is incorruptible tonight. And we declare the goodness and the greatness of our God. And we command in the name of the Lord that the heavenly host that has been hand-selected by our commander-in-chief would descend from heaven's throne room now and to defend and fight for the body of Christ. For in you, Lord, we have put our trust. And when I am afraid, I will trust in your word. When I am afraid, I will trust in your name. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. I bless you tonight, Jesus. Would you lift him up in this room? Come on, lift him up in this house. We have put our trust in you, Lord. Some trust in horses. Some trust in chariots but we will put our trust in the name of the Lord